0: If uh, it's anything like when Heather and I travel together, um, probably some, some choice words between people, maybe some crying, maybe some like, <laughs> What did you do? I'm what does she do when you start crying? <laughs> <laughs> usually, usually she's like, Toughen up, Traff. And I'm like, I was born <laughs> this way.
1: <laughs> no. This is the final for
0: The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 278. The town of Hum, Croatia doesn't just have a funny name, but in fact, it's the world's smallest town at just 21 full-time residents. Hum... In today's show, Derek and I dive a lot into one of my favorite subjects, location independence. Not just what it means to travel around the world, but what it means to travel, live, and and work anywhere in the world. And the good thing about being location independent in this day and age is the fact that you really don't need that many things with you to work anywhere in the world. But one of the things you definitely need is a good backpack. And one of my favorite features of the Tortuga Outbreaker Backpack is the fact that it has a dedicated laptop sleeve with a lot of padding. The laptop is my lifeline to everything that I'm doing. If that gets broken or crushed or anything like that, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. So that's why whenever I travel, I have my Tortuga Outbreaker backpack. I make sure to slip my little MacBook Air right there in that dedicated laptop sleeve with all the padding, and it works perfectly. I've taken it all over the world to over 40 different countries. Absolutely love it. So if you're looking for a great travel backpack, head on over to Tortuga. Tugabackpacks.com. Don't forget to use the promo code EPOP. That's E-P-O-P, all capital letters, because that'll get you 10% off your entire order. And don't forget, if you are someone who is interested in leading a location independent lifestyle, if you're interested in traveling, living, and working anywhere in the world, you are in luck because once again, for the fourth year, we are running our annual Paradise Pack project, which is a bundle of over 15 products that are all designed to help you travel, live, and work anywhere in the world. The value is off the charts. It's over $2,500 of products. If you were to buy them all on your own, you're going to spend over $2,500, which we give to you at a discount of over 90%. Now, this sale only goes on from May 30th through June 5th, 2017 this year. So if you're listening to this podcast before May 30th, head on over to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash paradise. And what that'll do is it'll get you on our email list. We're doing tons of cool stuff. You'll get a free opt-in guide, which is our behind the laptop guide, which shows how 10 different people in 10 different industries are making money so that they can be location independent. So it's a great little guide to get you started and see what is possible. If you're listening between May 30th and June 5th when the Paradise Pack sale is happening, if you go to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash paradise, that'll take you right to the homepage. You can see all the amazing products. You can grab your 2017 Paradise Pack that way as well. So no matter when you're listening important thing, if you're interested in location independence, go to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash paradise. That'll give you the information. The sale only runs from May 30th to June 5th, seven days only. Every year, it's brand new products. So if you don't get in during that time, there's no way you can get the paradise pack. So it's seven day only, over 90% off those products. So head on over extrapackofpeanuts.com slash paradise, and you'll get all the information that you need on the 2017 paradise pack that'll help you become location independent. All right, on to the show with Derek, where we talk a lot about location independence and a ton of other good travel stories. One, two, three. I'll show you Paris in the morning. I'll show you London afternoon. And you feel your Dublin heart is burning. Yeah, well, you don't have Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who discovered a new species of virus in Yellowstone National Park, set a world record for the fastest ascent of Bali's three biggest volcanoes back-to-back-to-back, Has a country song written about him and is a fellow man bun enthusiast. Derek Loudermilk (laughs) of DerekLoudermilk.com and the Art of Adventure podcast. Derek, thanks for joining me today and welcome.
1: Hey, Travis, thanks for having me. It's really funny to see what you picked out about me. Yeah, well, (laughs) it's it's very
0: easy when people have a website that's, I think yours was entitled A Hundred Things About Me and I thought, all right, well, I'm not going to throw a hundred in here, but let me go through and pick some interesting ones. It makes for a very easy... Uh, introduction on my end, okay. so appreciate it, man. Yeah, and if you guys want the other ninety, I guess it would be ninety-seven other facts about Derek, you can go to derekloudermilk dot com. We'll we'll yeah, put everything all, in the show
1: notes. They're all even cooler than those right. <laughs> there you
0: go. There you go. And today guys, we're going to be talking about um a lot about digital nomad, the location independent lifestyle, how Derek makes money on the road, you know, what day-to-day month-to-month life looks like, all that fun stuff of people who lead these lives that are a bit unconventional. Uh but we're also going to talk about something really interesting cuz Derek, you're the first person to come on the show who has just had a newborn baby and who was traveling and planning to travel even more with a newborn, a I believe three month old you told me, right? Three months, three and a half. Yeah. So, so yeah. So really excited to dig into that because we've had families come on. We've had people with kids, I think as young as like five or six talking about how you can still travel with families on. Never anyone with a newborn. So we're gonna be digging into that. We're also gonna be talking about how everyone, you know, regardless of their situation can add a little more adventure to their lives whether you know you're you're stuck in a um a location, you know, you're location dependent, whether you're a traveler, whatever, um both Derek and I firmly believe that you can add more adventure to your life no matter who you are and no matter where you are. So we're going to be digging into all that, but one thing I can't let you leave the show without knowing and I don't want to forget it. So we're going to put it right at the top here is what country song was written about you? And there's got to be a story behind that, because every country story, song is has this long, drawn-out story, right? So there has to be some sort of cool story wrapped around the fact that you have a country song written about you.
1: It's called One Night Stand, and it's about a one-night stand that I uh, had with a friend of a friend's sister. And she wasn't a country singer at the time, but became... Uh, like a somewhat well-known singer songwriter uh, I think she's still doing it and then yeah like several years later she sent me this song she's like hey just so you know <laughs> there's this I wrote this song about you it's actually really good it's like kind of like Jimmy Buffett style uh tropical fun sounding so it's not 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 just a country song but it's uh, it, was, it really cracked me up
0: there you go so it's not It's not anything bad. You're not like a bad guy in this song. It's a pretty nice kind of enjoyable song. Is it painting you in a good picture or what?
1: Well, the beginning of the song is like, because, you know, this guy and I hooked up and then he didn't call me and I was mad. But then I saw him again and we hooked up again and now I'm okay with it
0: (laughs) (laughs) there you go all right well if you guys all right so if you've never heard one night Stand, which i don't think i've had i'll have to play it after this podcast and see you know it might be one of those that you've heard somewhere before and you didn't know now i can sit there i'm gonna play it sometime to people get in the car Like i know that guy i know who she's talking about right now um awesome yeah so there you go not many people say they have a country um song written about him and you do so Pretty cool fact. Just one of the, one of the hundred, like we mentioned, (laughs) one of the hundred random facts about Derek. Um, I want to get into like this travel and adventure because, uh, you know, your podcast called The Art of Adventure obviously talks a lot about travel and things like that. Is that something that you've always grown up with? Was this idea of travel and adventuring? Was that built into you by your parents, you know, and the way you were raised? Or was there kind of an aha moment that you were sitting somewhere and you thought, you know, this regular static lifestyle isn't for me. I got to get out and do something on my own.
1: I think that I was both. It's so interesting. I think I was raised that way and then I got away from it and had an aha moment to get back to it. Uh, I'm an only child and I spent a lot of time camping with my parents. When I was younger, we would like go on road trips and camp in national forests and stuff because it's cheap. And so I and then I was in the Boy Scouts. So I so I always was doing this like camping and just kind of exploring around. But it wasn't until sort of realizing about remote work and four hour work week and stuff post college that I started thinking about an adventure lifestyle and actually I was my first career after college was uh professional cycling which is it's sort of like a location independent business. Um, except that it's, it's, you know, it's super fun, but it's manual labor. You're just going around and working your butt off in these different locations. Um, and, and not, yeah, it's not not enjoying yourself. You're (laughs) not really hanging
0: out on the beach and going out and partying. It's more like, all right, eight hours of cycling a day and maybe I'll get to relax at night.
1: And it's crazy. Like I was so anti walking, like my friends would be like, let's go out and walk you there, and I'd be like, oh, sorry, I'm just gonna lie here on the couch, and not move in between, you know.
0: <laughs> when when you were cycling, I mean, that's pretty interesting. Then after, I assume this is after university, you decided to embark on a professional cycling career. How long did that last? And you know, take us through that because I again, now we haven't had a yeah. professional cyclist on the show yet either. So now we're te- checking two boxes off here.
1: Yeah. So so I was. Uh, Really, in this at the time of Lance Armstrong and the US postal doping era. And I had dreamed of becoming a cyclist. I actually was a runner in college, built up a lot of fitness. And so I got good at cycling really quickly once I graduated college. And it was sort of you transfer the fitness over, it happens a bunch. And uh, I went to Spain and I was training in Spain and I moved to Boulder, uh, which is where a lot of the pro cyclists live in the States. And I was racing on this sort of small uh, development team, which has since become one of the top teams in the in the country. Yeah, I was, you know, I I did race against these Tour de France winners like Lance and Floyd and and whatnot, and it was they're so they were so fast, right? They were on drugs, and I I sort of knew that people were on drugs, but I didn't really have access to that because I wasn't making enough money to to buy drugs or even know like anything about it so so really I just got stuck in sort of like the minor leagues of pro cycling and I did that for four years and retired
0: how was that decision to retire because you work you know you work hard for something obviously being a runner in college so you yeah you weren't cycling but you're still working to be in like peak physical condition you do yep. it for four years. You know, you've now committed eight, ten years of your life to saying, like, I'm going to be a, a top-level athlete in some regard, depending on the sport here. And then you say, all right, I'm just not going to be able to do it. Was it a sense of relief that you were walking away from it and you could kind of get your life back? Or was it this, man, I'm giving up or not giving up, but I'm, I'm stopping only because I, I'm being realistic about my chances of, of moving on to the next level?
1: Well, I was seeing some of my peers start to retire in their late thirties, and i you know I was only twenty eight or something twenty nine but i I realized like everyone retires, you know, and then you're in your late thirties or early forties, and you have to decide what am I going to do with my life and People who've had fifteen years of a legitimate career are way ahead of you. they've already bought a house, had kids, have plenty of money. And I thought, ah, oh, I better just prepare myself a little bit uh, for a real, legitimate life. And so I went to I went to grad school. I I start, went into a PhD program in microbiology. And that's where you mentioned the the new species in Yellowstone. That's where I was working for my grad school.
0: So you you go from cycling, you go back, you know, you go back to school because I think a lot of people think that, right? Like when you when you don't know what to
1: do. And you're yep. like,
0: I got to get back into real life, but I don't really want to get into real life. And this was I'm in 2008 okay, yeah.
1: everyone was thinking about going back to school because there were no jobs.
0: Right, right. Okay, so you went back to school. Uh, Where did you go and did you complete the PhD program?
1: Nope, I'm a, a dropout from that as well. Uh, I went to Montana State, which is the closest university to Yellowstone. And they have a lot, probably it's the best school in north america for studying extremophiles which are microbes that live either super hot or super cold or in the dead sea or something like that and it's where you go to study the beginnings of life which i was really intrigued by I'm a big fan of scientific explorers from the days of yore you know darwin and the great sailor explorers and and all that stuff and so i was like this is gonna be me i'm gonna be an explorer i'm gonna discover new life and you know, maybe even life on other planets. And it was a pretty clever picture I painted for myself. <laughs> and and so how did that end?
0: What brought an end to the grad school? And then what did, what did life look like after the grad school? Because then obviously, again, it's like, whoops, now I actually got to figure something out too, again.
1: Yeah, a lot of figuring. Um, I... The good parts of grad school were getting into the field in Yellowstone and and finding, discovering new hot springs. I have a hot spring that I named after myself, uh, just on a whim, just because, I don't know, I have an ego. Yeah, Why not? (laughs) uh, You know, so, so getting out there was awesome. The thing with science is people don't realize you can go on a single day in the field and collect enough samples for 20 years of analysis in the lab. And so my time outside was very minimal, it turned out. And I was sort of surprised and disappointed by that and and realized it just wasn't meant to slave away for twenty years doing calculations in in a dark microscope room, but that I, I I did get a chance to teach in grad school and that was my favorite part of the whole thing. And I thought I'm just gonna be a teacher and I'm gonna teach about adventure and I'm gonna teach about business and just all the things that I love. And so, and that's sort of when the blog and the podcast were born. And compounded to that fact that I was spending all this time inside was I had a giant blood clot in my brain and uh I survived, obviously, I'm here. Uh, <laughs> but uh it was like a 75% mortality rate. So um maybe just reevaluate things like and it's still you know people say live each day like it's your last it's not a very sustainable way to look at things but it will definitely spur you into action uh to make a decision and um that's that's but led me to sort of drop out of grad school.
0: And and now to do what you're doing. And and we'll get into that now because a lot of people say, all right, well, you know, maybe they have a similar path like you uh, to yours or maybe they, they don't. But they're at least in a similar spot where they said, all right, I've tried a few different things. Didn't work out. Moved on. Didn't work out or, or you know, worked out to – to the end that it was supposed to, and then now they want to move on to something different. I don't want to say it didn't work out like it was a bad thing, but, yeah, it wasn't your, going to be your life's mission or your career. And now you're at a spot where you can, you know, travel, live, work anywhere, this kind of um, dream that gets thrown out uh, there, this digital nomad lifestyle, if you will. How did that come about, and what is it that allows you to do this at this point now?
1: Yeah. So... While I was in grad school, I was sitting in on all the business school classes and uh, I also got I didn't get an actual degree, but I effectively got a business degree, um, which was which was fun. And I was uh, playing around with several businesses. I had a sports resale business Uh, and then I started my first coaching business for cyclists and I was coaching university level cyclists all over the country on how to basically turn professional and so I would you know teach them uh get them more fit and, and race strategy and all this stuff and it was it was really fun um and that was sort of my first portable business that I took when I went to Vietnam uh in 2014 and that's enough when you when you're in Vietnam yeah a thousand dollars a month is enough to sustain you indefinitely
0: And so that coaching business then was what you were was kind of the jumping off point for you to say I'm going to be location independent. I'm going to live somewhere cheap so that I don't have to make three grand, four grand, ten grand a month. Instead, I'm going to cut my costs as opposed to trying to, um, you know, make my profits higher. And you're still trying to do that anyway, but you're cutting your costs so that you could sustain that lifestyle for for a while.
1: Yeah, and actually, I just when I got to a thousand, I said. I'm not going to take any more clients so that I have unlimited time, pretty much. and got into podcasting. That's when the show was launched. Um, yeah, funny, funny podcasting story. I tried my first interview was uh, it was going to be with a well-known Cuban professional cyclist and recorded this great interview in some hotel in Cambodia. And when I went back, I realized it hadn't recorded his side of it. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. Uh, so I never, I never followed up with him. I, 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 I assume that he thinks that it's published somewhere and he just never heard about it.
0: (laughs) That's funny. So yeah, uh, one day you'll have to follow up and you have to like Get him on, tell him the whole story, find his reaction. That would make for a great podcast. You do know that three years ago when I interviewed yeah. you, it didn't actually work. Um, <laughs> so now what does life look like, both day to day and and kind of month to month? Are you still doing the coaching to sustain yourself? Is that what you're pushing forward? And then how do you decide where you're going to travel or if you're even going to travel?
1: Yeah, so the coaching has evolved As I was podcasting and uh, people started wanting to know about podcasting, I started being a podcast coach more than a cycling coach. And then the business transferred to I had these podcast startup masterminds that I was running in Bali, which is a place where a lot of people go, a lot of uh, nomads go and, and work for a while. So I had, you know, maybe four to eight people a month in a live group and we were launching shows every month. Um, and that was my business. And as I started to even study this business side of digital nomadism and sort of get a good pulse on the the world of remote business, people started asking me business questions. So, so since then, I've transferred into business coaching for nomads. So that's, uh, that's sort of like the business side of things. Um, as we're talking today, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri, in the States. Just got back from spending a month in Mexico. And that was our little test run, our practice run for traveling with my son, who's named Axel. And uh, it went surprisingly well. Better for him than for me, actually. Because we were, we were staying in this place that didn't have wi-fi in the house and i it's you know it's easier in most places to find wi-fi than clean water for, uh, even in some developing countries uh, and so that was sort of a pain in my butt to you know i get uh, a hot spot on my phone and try to use that or, or like go to cafes which i hadn't been forced to do for a while but overall uh the balance was nice like work hard one day a week and then adventure the rest of the time
0: yeah, all right. Let's transition into into that a little bit with the newborn son because a lot, as I mentioned, I think a lot of people. Are, you've probably heard this, and a lot of people listening have probably heard this, and I've heard this a lot. If we, if you don't have children yet, they, people say, "Oh yeah, yeah, get it all out of your system," right? As if, <laughs> as if it's like going to be complete anyway. But get it all out of your system because. Once you have kids, it's going to change and this and that. And of course, course it's going to change. But I think what a lot of people mean is it's going to change as in it's going to stop. Like get it out of your system because you won't be able to do it later. Um, That's not going to be the case with me. Obviously, that's not the case with you you as you've just proven. So what has been the biggest change of traveling with a newborn and what do you kind of foresee because this is interesting because you don't know either what do you foresee as being some issues or some things that are going to change the way that you travel
1: yeah uh well i lived out of a carry-on for three years and now i have a ton more stuff uh which is fine you know just check a bag and it, it works out uh, people going through the airports and stuff are really helpful. Uh, the actual travel wasn't that challenging. Um, yeah, it actually, you know, once we were on the ground and we had time to get our bearings and understand the city, we were in San Jose and in, in Baja California Sur. And you know, like any place, if you go and you spend uh some weeks or months there, you sort of get the feel of the flow of life and. It becomes easier, um, so I think that that will that will happen. One thing that I, a couple things that I worry about. I've talked to some people who my friends that grew up in military families or families that moved around a lot. Some of them are really well-adjusted, gregarious, outgoing, awesome people that loved the experience. Others of them resent their parents for breaking up their friendships and forcing them to move in the middle of a school year or things like that. So I want to definitely be mindful of giving him the chance to build some long-term friendships when he's a kid. So my plan is to travel for four years or five years, then put him in elementary school, be in one spot for, you know, first through sixth grade or something like that. Um, so that he kind of does both and then, and then maybe pull him out of school and then travel again with him for middle school. Uh, and so, so he would sort of see both sides of the coin. The other thing is Heidi, my partner really is starting to feel this. I want to have a home. I want to have roots. I want to have my own space. And so, so maybe that will drive us. We're, we're already thinking, and I think you, you recently bought an Airbnb investment, uh, we might do something similar to that um, either here in St. Louis or or in Bend, Oregon, which is somewhere I've always wanted to have a base. And, yeah, so if if we try this for a year or, or two and Heidi's like, I'm tired of it, then I would be, probably be okay having a base and then just like going out from there to have adventures.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things that people forget get about is or, or kind of overlook is the fact that you can do both things. You know, it's it's not that you if you say I'm a traveler, then you have to be traveling for the entire life of your child, right? For 18 years you have to be traveling. Or if you're if you're some if you're living somewhere, that doesn't mean that you have to do it for that entire time either. And and especially now as you mentioned with the sharing economy and with the ability to own a home but also Either make money off it or break even on it sometimes or whatever, whatever it is. There are just so many options that allow you to be a lot more mobile if you choose. And, um, I, I love that you were talking about like maybe you haven't been for elementary school and maybe not for middle school. And when people kind of come up to me and say, like, yeah, but when you have a kid, like, what are you going to do about schooling? That's usually one of the first questions. Um, and I just say, All right, I got at least six, seven years to figure that out. Who knows what it's going to look like in six or seven years? You know, already people are going virtually and 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 things like that. So there's already virtual schooling, as we know. But I mean, that's just going to grow even more and more and more and rapider and rapider. And so, I, I think it's one of those things that why even worry about something that in six years might be totally different anyway. Um, yeah. One of the questions that that I have for you with with traveling with Axel and, and you went down to Mexico and I know you're going to Croatia for a couple months uh, pretty soon and he's still going to be young, you know, four months through seven months. What has been the feedback from friends and family? Are, are they like, what is Derek thinking taking his kid who's like this little infant over the water? or Are they like, ah, oh, he's, he's an infant. He's resilient. He can,
1: you know, he'll be fine. Parents, uh, that have traveled with infants, they say, "Oh, you'll be fine." Um, people that haven't traveled, sort of, and know me tangentially, uh, they send me articles about diseases, uh, or like, make sure you get these vaccines. Or we were thinking about going to Cape Town, you know, so they would send me like a disease map of Africa or something. Um, and you know, like these people are—they just want you to be safe and. Hopefully, uh, this doesn't negatively affect him. Like he doesn't get some weird virus. Uh, but the the world in general is is set up for for ease of use. Like people have to live in it everywhere, and so it's so it's actually fairly easy, you know, to get to healthcare pretty much anywhere. We considered having the baby in in Bali. We came back to the states, uh, which was actually got lucky because. He was almost an emergency C-section. They were like seconds away from slicing Heidi open and then his heart rate had stopped. And but then it came back. And so they like stopped stop everything. Anyway, so so that was like a, a scary, scary moment. It was we were glad we were in the States because they assembled this crack team of of surgeons, you know, whatever. Uh but people have babies all over the world. So you know, it's it's not super scary. I think because I've integrated into new cultures before.
0: I think one of the really interesting points that you brought up there is typically whether you're traveling with a newborn or whether you're looking to leave your job and and become a digital nomad or become location dependent. Whenever you're looking to do something that's out of the norm uh, and isn't your typical uh, societal like follow the these steps type thing. It's usually not the people closest to you that are worried about you. I mean, it it does happen. You know, some people, I'm blessed to have very supportive family and in-laws and everything. Um, and especially now after years, they kind of like, yeah, he'll do whatever he wants to do. It doesn't matter what we say, but so I'm lucky that way. It sounds like you're pretty lucky that way as well. But usually what I've seen is that the people who are most worried and, and it, you, you made a good point. It's not out of, like them wanting to be mean or nasty, it's it's comes from a place a good heart and a place of love, but it's usually the people who are removed, like a layer or two or three removed, that are the ones saying like you can't do that. How can you? Because they don't they don't know you. The people closest to you, are like all right, I know Derek. He's thought through this. He's not just taking his kid on an airplane the second it's born be Like We're going to go here because I want to do it. <laughs> you know, it's the people who are closest to you that get it. And it's those other people who are a few steps removed that are the ones that are worried and saying you shouldn't do it and can't do it and, and all that kind of stuff. And I see that happen more often than not when people are looking to break out of out of the norm.
1: Yeah, definitely. And then when they see the results, then it's it's easier for them to get on board. Like if you've actually done it, they're like, I knew you could do it.
0: <laughs> and and a lot of times that's all people need. I mean, they don't know anyone who's taken a newborn to Mexico before, right? They don't know anyone who's quit a job to go on this year long adventure and, and hopefully build a business. They don't know, you know, it's because they don't know anyone who's done it. And once you do it, What I think is really cool and what I see happening inside our community and when people do it is that they become then the one in their circle of friends that gets held up as like the example. And then, you know, someone else comes off that and it's like, well, I saw Derek do it. So now I can do it. Even if they've never met you in person, they've just seen on Facebook. It's pretty cool how you have this ripple effect as being like the one that did it, even though to you it might just be like, "Ah, I'm just going to do it. It's a big kind of sends shockwaves, big shockwaves through, I think, your network and extended network and so on.
1: Yeah. And I, I actually think that's a really important reason why I podcast and tell stories about my trips. It, it's simply like a lot of times people, there's there's all these possibilities. And until you hear a story about something, you don't even know that it's a, a possibility. And then you hear and your world opens up and you start thinking creatively and they don't copy you, but they they try their own version of whatever, you know, creating this life situation that they're interested in. Um, but it's almost like giving people permission to be creative with how they want to live.
0: Yeah. When, when someone could put a name or a face or a word to to the feelings and the thoughts that they might have... Instantly makes it more real for them. And if something's more real, it then instantly becomes more feasible and more accessible. And I think you make a good point, exactly why we do this podcast too. It's possible. You know, we're just telling you what we do. We're not saying we do it perfect by any means, not saying that it's always going to be great, but we're doing it, showing you how to possibly do it. And you're going to take it and morph it into however it works in your life. And like you said, Derek, like no one's going to create exactly the same things that we did, but they're going to take what they heard here, morph it in their life, and hopefully then go and do something that they've wanted to do that's a little more interesting or a little outside the box or or a little more um, innovative or anything like that.
1: It's fun. It's a lot of fun to to participate in that and then hear back from, from people, uh, you know, like, oh, now I'm traveling full-time as a kiteboarder and uh, – uh, you know, I I work at at night on my programming, but in the day I'm like jumping off waves, and it's like, wow, you actually did that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the best is is getting. So if you guys want to reach out, you can reach out to us. Uh, please let us know if this helped you, inspire you in any way, uh, shape or form. Let us know because yeah, the feedback is what keeps it going, for sure. Um, for you, Derek, what does a typical? I mean, I know it's going to be different now because you you know you just had a newborn. So, but what do you foresee a typical? travel schedule being? Is it something where you go and you set down routes? As as you mentioned, um your partner Heidi wants to set down more permanent routes and maybe have a home base. But when you travel, are you going to go longer and set down routes somewhere? I, I mean that would be what I would imagine I would do with the child as opposed to the fast travel. But what do you see it looking like over the next couple
1: months and then next couple yeah. of years? I think that I imagine that we will spend three months in Croatia and you know get a, a two or three bedroom place and have that you know rent it for the three months and have that sort of our our base. Um, and I could see us doing doing three locations, you know, moving three times in nine months. Um, you know, a lot of the the visas, the tourist visas, like in Europe, for example, and I think South Africa are a three month thing. So it fits perfectly in that. And we've even thought about getting, if we got a three bedroom apartment, we could rent the, the third one, Airbnb, have the other one be my office and then uh, make it a, make it a wash kind of financially. Um, yeah. And I, and I like to get to know a neighborhood. I like to like have my restaurant where I order the same thing and the people know me and I go to the market and I, get the eggs from the lady and, you know, and they stopped charging you the tourist prices and then they started giving you, you know, yeah, you wear them down, right? You're like, they feel bad charging you the tourist prices
0: every day if you're going to be there for three months. So,
1: yeah. So that's, that's what I envision, And then it'll be stressful for the first week while you're finding a place and the kids getting used to the time change and, you know, probably more crying and then, almost back to, back to normal daily routine where I shut myself up in my office and I work real hard for most of the day. And maybe I like to, I like to go outside every day and wherever I am, I'm going to be trying to do that, whether it's with a, with a bike or running or walking or, or whatever it's going to be. And then obviously micro adventures within the, the weeks, so seeing national parks taking a little you know a week long sailing trip or something
0: yeah do you have some of uh some favorite places that you've been already because i i always like like you i like to travel slower if possible and i always have this same dream of yeah two three months somewhere then move on you know you kind of have these little pockets uh places that you like and you might come back to and you feel a little bit at home and then maybe one of the three-month periods is somewhere totally new. And then you come back to a home home base or what have you. Do you have any yeah. places that, that have been your favorite that you could see, like, in the future settling into for three months? Or you think, yeah, we're going here no matter what. I, I, I would love to spend a couple months here.
1: Well, I think Heidi and I have both talked about living in Bali. And partly because you could hire someone to watch your kid for very cheap, clean your house, give you massages, and... You don't have you, to do you know, any real life stuff in Bali or Thailand,
0: right? You just hire someone to do it all and it's it's almost like like Disneyland for adults, right? Everything is so cheap, you don't have to worry about anything.
1: Yeah, it's it's really weird. Uh I've noticed with a lot of people starting businesses in those places it holds them back because there's no urgency mm. to make any money and they spend a lot of time doing uh like revamping their website or like rebranding or or doing self discovery work which is awesome for them but you know businesses grow really slowly <laughs> when it's like that so i could i could see us winding up in bali i really loved vietnam as well uh also also quite cheap and and really set up i think i think it'll take off even more in the next few years i really liked belgium interestingly brussels was was super cool um i haven't i haven't explored much living in europe so croatia will will do some of that we might end up in barcelona for a little bit where i know a lot of people a lot of digital nomads spend their summers and yeah one of the one of the other things that i think is important to remind people is that you don't have to go to some exotic Location you can actually go spend time with your family like grandparents or sister And we've done that in California and Tennessee. We're heading to Tennessee next month to to spend a week With my grandparents Axel's great-grandparents so they can meet him uh, It's it's up in the mountains up in the Appalachian Mountains beautiful country uh, You know, it doesn't have to be on a beach.
0: Yeah, well what's cool about that too is when you are someone who travels quite a bit and you spend a couple months away or or maybe even longer, is that when you do come home, people are willing to take you in, like they want you to be around, right? Because oh, I even, especially with with a newborn, right? I mean, what grandparents or, or parents aren't going to want to be around their newborn? Um, yeah, whether it be their grandkid or great grandkid, as much as possible. So if you are leading this lifestyle, and, and I'm happy now that I have a home base here in Philadelphia, that all our stuff is in, that when I come home, I get to be in and it's my space. But for the first couple years. We didn't have that luxury. We weren't making enough to be able to do that. We'd come home, and it was always nice. I mean, for a while, because at least people wanted you around when you came home. So you had that bit of grace period. Um, And then (laughs) after a while, they're like, this has been happening for three years. Uh, Maybe we should figure something else out. But it is nice. I think that's an important point, too, that you make is that, uh, yeah, you don't have to go somewhere exotic and live this crazy, adventurous life all the time. Spend time with friends, family. Go back to places that you like. And, and you made a really good point using the term micro-adventures, which I know um, Alistair Humphreys, uh, if you guys know him, he was on the podcast before, has a book called Micro-Adventures. But it's all about, you know, doing things that don't necessarily seem crazy, you know, quotes, crazy or or, or exotic, but just finding some stuff that you can do around you or, or in your hometown or in your home state or even in your home country that, that people forget about.
1: When I lived in bozeman montana for grad school i had a sort of a bozeman bucket list of adventures i wanted to do and i got maybe 80 percent of the way through it in three and a half years so y- there's so much around wherever you are you're you're not going to get to it i never went to a rodeo uh y- <laughs> you know but i would have been awesome but i never did my dream of uh stand up paddle boarding the whitewater rapids around there uh, which I don't even know is possible, but you know, so yeah, you, you, it takes a long time to burn up your adventure options in your own town.
0: Yeah, for sure. What are some ways that you save money while traveling? We've, we've obviously talked about a few with, with Airbnb, you know, if you have an extra bedroom and stuff like that, are there other things that you found yourself doing when you're on the road to save money so that obviously you can, you know, travel longer?
1: Yeah. When I lived in, in uh, in Vietnam and in Bali, I would rent my houses by paying all up front and negotiate a really steep discount. So we had this amazing villa in, in Bali that was three. I shared it with two other entrepreneurs. We had this pool. We had, you know, house cleaning staff. My room was glassed in on three sides and you could jump off of the roof into the pool. And I had this bathroom that had its own jungle in it and we were paying something like 300 US a month for for, for the it. whole oh each for the house so yeah, it, was it was like, like 900, 900 US yeah, yeah yeah uh you know high speed internet and this and so then we had this huge long table that could sit like 16 people around it and so we always had co-working sessions over at our place and giant parties all the time it was it was amazing <laughs>
0: Yeah. So paying up front for sure and, and a lot of countries, especially developing countries, yo, know, for them it's it's huge to get the money up front. I, I, I always tell people when they're going to, you know, Thailand I've spent a lot more time in uh than Vietnam or Bali, but same same idea where yeah, go um you might want to rent a place for a week. If you're gonna go long term, rent a place for a week so you're there, but then negotiate up front and you're always going to get some, you're going to find some fantastic deals, especially stuff that you can't find on the internet, right? Like you're going to wander around town. You're going to meet someone at a bar or like a shop and they're going to know someone and you go to this house and you're like, whoa, 900 bucks for this palace. Yeah, I'll take it.
1: Yeah. There is a lot of non-internet stuff and I, you know, you can like, even with hotel rooms, you can go on some booking site and find a cheap one. It's fun to challenge yourself and like just show up in town with nowhere to stay and, and see if you can find something cooler or better. And sometimes you can't and you're like, oh, I should have just got that $10 room. But sometimes you luck out and get something awesome. And the thing is now with, with having your phone on you and, and
0: usually having internet wherever you are, If you pass up that $10 room, you can probably go back on your phone right there and book it as you're standing in their lobby, right? Or something like that. So, And I've had to do that plenty of times where I'm literally getting a better price online than than the person at the front desk will give me. I'm like, "Uh, I guess I'll book it online. And then you book it. And she's like, one time in Portugal, this lady was so nice, but she wouldn't give us
1: a cheaper price. I'm like- I learned why that is. Why? just learned about that. Okay. So- uh this was I learned from sitting in on a timeshare presentation okay. in Cabo because I wanted to learn how they were doing sales. But he said uh websites force hotels and you know places to have higher prices than they do because they buy the rooms in bulk and they guarantee occupancy. But so that people are forced to go through their site, they'll put in the contract, hotels, you can't offer a price as low as the website. Um, and I always thought it was so weird. It's the same with rental car companies. You know, I can rent it for a dollar a day on the website, but it's $70 a day in person. Like, come on. And they're like, sorry. All right. That's, weird, so that's, that's why. It, <laughs> yeah, the rental cars are probably the worst example of
0: that i mean they are so expensive if you try to buy them from a counter or rent them from a counter at least hotels sometimes you've got like a similar thing all right so and that makes sense you know they buy them in bulk and they give them their money up front and stuff like that but it is always funny when i'm sitting there with my phone showing them and then like i book it and they're like oh mr sherry your confirmation has come through you're like yeah i'm standing (laughs) right here booking it um Do you have – I can't let you get out of here without asking this question because, uh, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask uh, any guest who comes on. But we're talking about travel mishaps, and I'm sure you've had a a few, and I'm sure you will certainly have a few more as you continue to travel, especially with a newborn and and as as Axel grows up and things like that. But do you have a favorite travel mishap?
1: Actually, this one ties right in with what we were just talking about. uh, We were motorbiking the length of Vietnam and not – really booking hotels in advance and just assuming that we would find something. And this is one of those days where you're sort of like pushing your luck. Uh, let's try to get, you know, 50 more miles or whatever, uh, you know, let's just keep going. Uh, and it's monsoon season. So these, this huge thunderstorm rolls in right at five o'clock, right before sunset. And it just starts pouring the rain. And then you know, we look at our map and it's kind of, actually the next town doesn't look like a big enough town to have a guest house. So we're going to have to go two towns. And by then it's getting dark and you're like, Oh my gosh. And uh, I was, I was with my, my ex at the time and she doesn't like uh, unknown (laughs) things as much as I do. So I was feeling kind of embarrassed and we got, we got into this town and you know, it's pouring the rain and we're like ducking into the market Sort of asking people like, is there a I, can, I can't remember the word in Vietnamese. Um, like, is there a guest house? And they're like, go down the road, go down the road. It's down, you know, at the edge of town. So We get to the edge of town. There's nothing. We ask the people at the edge of town. They're like, keep going. And we get out into the middle of nowhere. And I and we think we've we've just missed missed it. Or there's not one. Or these people don't know what we're asking them. And we go and we're driving up and down, up and down the main street of town. There's no there's no homestays or anything. And we're about to just give up and, you know, drive another like two hours in the dark to see if we can get something better, which is not an appealing option. Right. (laughs) And all of a sudden, this is this is like something that you would find in a ridiculous movie. The storm breaks. There's a ray of sunlight coming through one of those gaps in the clouds, like a manna from heaven and a rainbow. And the streets are all flooded. Um, but like where basically where this beam of light is is shining on uh, a homestay in the middle of town. Actually, it's right next to where we first asked people, is there a homestay? And they said, you know, if we were just turned around, we would have found it. But we, you know, spent all this time driving. And so it was like the heavens opened up and they're like, here it is. And then we go in and they're like, we have one room left. And we're like, it doesn't matter. We're taking it. Uh, so by the grace of God, uh, found our room, but it, it could have been, yeah. you could have been, been in had there had two, t- two hours <laughs> earlier. If you had, if you had, like you said, just turned around, probably
0: saved yourself a lot of tears. And if, uh, it's anything like when Heather and I travel together, um, probably some, some choice words between people, maybe some crying, maybe some like, <laughs> what did you do? I'm. Working. What does she do when you start crying? <laughs> usually, <laughs> usually she's like toughen up Traff and i'm like i was born this way <laughs> no. um that's awesome man that's uh, and it's always funny when you have these mishaps and then of course later on yeah it's this funny story where you you're like we were standing next to it and we didn't know it was there so um awesome stuff what do you have in the pipeline coming up you kind of talked about stuff that you were doing personally with with going to croatia And depending on when this airs, either you will be on your way to Croatia or you'll be in Croatia, um, which is pretty cool. And you'll spend a couple months there. What else do you have coming up?
1: Well, I have a larger quest, which is to live on every continent three months or more. And so I've lived in Asia, Europe, North America, Australia. And so then, you know, working our way towards Africa, that's where Cape Town comes in. And then... Not so sure where we'll go in South America, but either Colombia or Argentina, um, specifically—what's uh, the town in Argentina? Uh, Mendoza or Medellin in, uh, in Colombia. Colombia.
0: Yeah. Some good options, but then you have to cross off Antarctica. I assume not as many options there.
1: Yeah, well, I'm giving myself a buy on Antarctica. You can go— um, You can, if you want to get a job like working as a snow vehicle driver at one of the research bases, Um, but there's not, there's not a ton of ways to live there. So I'm, I'm excluding that one, but I'd be happy just to go.
0: There you go. Yeah, just just touch that one, right? The other one's three months. That one, yeah, you can touch that one. Awesome, Derek. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today and showing people, you know, especially people in in a position like myself, you know, looking to have a family and wanting to have a family and hearing that, hey, you're not going to be able to do this when you have a kid. Well, yeah, it's possible. Uh, so thanks for letting people know it's possible to have a life of adventure no matter where you are, how big your family is, or any of the roadblocks that people throw up. Um, we're going to do it no matter what. So thanks for inspiring people to do that. Remind people one more time how they can get a hold of you and how they can find all your stuff.
1: Yeah, thanks. The The show is The Art of Adventure and my website is com. And if you are curious about starting your own location-independent business, that's that's what I do is I coach people. And so if you're listening to this show and you want to hop on the phone and have a, a half-hour call with me a strategy session. I'm happy to do that. Um, and you can just send me an email directly, Derek at Derek to set that up. And yeah, I really appreciate you having me on Travis. It's been really fun.
0: Yeah, and guys, we will link everything up, as you know, in the show notes. So if you can't spell louder milk, I will spell it here for you, but if you forget it, it'll be linked up. It's Derek, D-E-R-E-K. Louder milk L O U D E R M I L K dot com. You can check that out. Um, we'll link it all up in the show notes. Extra pack of peanuts dot com slash pods. You can get everything we talked about here. All the things we discussed in those show notes, and you can get the show notes for all, however many we're at now, (laughs) 260-some. Depending on when it comes out, we're over 250 at this point. So you can get all the show notes there. You can listen to any podcast that you want there. Of course, you can find Derek's show on iTunes or Stitcher or however you listen to this podcast. Go check it out, The Art of Adventure. Uh, Shout out to Tortuga Backpacks for being the sponsor of this show. Remember, if you want a great travel, carry on. Derek said he used to just carry Just travel with a carry-on. I still do. That may change. That might be one thing that'll have to change when we're carrying diapers around the world. But um, uh, you can check that out, tortugabackpacks.com. Use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters. That'll get you 10% off your entire order. Thanks again, Derek. Appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for your continued support. That makes us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. There is no more.